0: like i'm far away from you (laughs) all right good evening it's good to have each of you with us this evening we are continuing our series on sunday evenings that follows what we do on sunday mornings we are looking at a series about god's kingdom god's church we're talking about god's church god's work god's way and we will do this again next week lord willing and then we'll have one more sunday sermon and then that's going to kind of wrap up this series The series, I believe, has been very practical, as Danny said, very helpful. It it makes a good unit. We encourage you, if you've missed any of them, go back to them. you've got some connections, you think that any of these lessons would be helpful for them, I would encourage you to take them to the website and to do those things. So this morning we were talking about how the church helps the needy. And again, the concept that we're talking about is in the area of benevolence. That word simply means generosity or kindness, Uh, how you help somebody, and we use a concept this morning of staying in your lane. I had a lot of people kind of repeating that phrase after this morning. That's a good way of just remembering it, that God has a lane for the church, God has a lane for the individual, and that's something we need to appreciate. One of the things we tried to bring out this morning was that there's a difference between what God expects of the church and what God expects of the individual, and we see, through the pattern of the New Testament, that the church helped needy Christians. That's what we see. And so we're going to kind of expand that this evening, talk about some more things that we didn't get to talk about in the lesson, and kind of go from there and talk about some things. So you have any opening things? You have nothing to say. This I just is, hope this you is don't
1: Call me sweet potato.
0: Well, <clears throat> there, are, <coughs> there are other vegetables. <laughs> 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 but we won't go there. <laughs> OK. All right. All right, first question. So, this morning we read several verses. Uh, we did Acts 11, Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 8, and 1 Corinthians 16. There's that ready recollections? Recollecting today. So, those verses we were using showed the church helping other Christians. The church helps the church. The church helps Brethren. So our first question is, uh, we read some of those verses this morning showing the church helps needy saints or brethren. How do we know it's limited to only brethren?
1: Let's go back in our Bibles to Acts chapter 4 where we'll read together in just a, a moment. Uh, how do we know? Well, it's, it's all that we have record of. Uh, I, I would compare this to how do we know that infants weren't baptized in the era of the apostles. Uh, well, we, we don't read of any being baptized. And of course we can add to that uh, the, the scriptural understanding of it is people who believe, people who are able and willing to confess faith in Jesus, people who are capable of Repenting, turning away from their sins, but but surely uh, built into that as well is we we just don't have record of that. All that we can rely on is is the record of what we have. And so, uh, let me give just one other example in Acts chapter four. You briefly referenced this this morning, but I think it illustrates it well. In verse 32 of Acts 4, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So we could go back and start reading in Acts chapter 1 why there were so many people in Jerusalem. It's tied, certainly seems to be, to the day of Pentecost. Jews from all over the world have come. They have had this life-altering experience where they've heard the gospel they're devoting themselves to the apostles doctrine clearly people who are being described here are believers but there are very real needs right here and so in verse 33 with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. But wouldn't we all readily acknowledge there were lots of needy people in and around Jerusalem. There were lots of needy people in the surrounding region of Judea. This is not saying clearly that there were not needy people in Jerusalem. But what Luke is documenting is there were not needy people among this number of believers. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as, as any had need. And so... In many ways, like Roger mentioned, this is an unfolding package. It really goes back to what we spent 35 minutes or so talking about last Sunday morning. What was the mission of this church under the oversight of these Spirit-guided apostles? It was to make disciples of Jesus to embody this teaching as a Christ-formed family. Uh, you put it today as taking care of the church, to worship the God of the eternal purpose that we've talked so much about from Ephesians, in spirit and in truth, and to equip saints for the work of ministry. Now, that work of ministry certainly involves, within the context of A church family but it goes beyond the church family right as as we as individual disciples are are equipped with this mind of christ we'll talk a lot about that right that as individual believers we don't pass our responsibility on to anybody else it is ours absolutely as individuals
0: and you know as in any other subject you know, we, we look at the biblical pattern, and it's an exclusive pattern. There's no exceptions to that. When it comes to who the church sent its money to help in needy circumstances, it was always fellow Christians. No exceptions to that. And to do that is to travel down roads where you have no Bible, and you're just launching out on your own. And once you open that door, then anything can happen. And what you've done is you've left the Lord. So we're reminded passage passages like Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We must follow that biblical pattern if we're going to be God's church.
1: So, you were in Acts chapter 11 this morning, and you noticed how there was a church in Antioch that helped the saints in Jerusalem. Last Sunday night, we talked about evangelism, And if memory serves correctly, you said that that shouldn't happen on the front of evangelism. So if churches can cooperate or help one another in benevolence, like that example in Acts 11, what makes this different from those joint evangelistic efforts?
0: Stay in your lane, brother. All right. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that's the answer. So, So evangelism and benevolence are not the same thing. When we deal with needs, when we deal with benevolence, we're trying to eliminate this. Here's somebody has a need. We're trying to get them to a position where they no longer have needs. Here's a poor person who cannot take care of himself. We think about we're trying to get them to a position where that doesn't happen. When we talk about evangelism, that's an ongoing forever type of work. And as we mentioned that last week, God gave each congregation sufficient to do the work it's supposed to do. So when we talk about evangelism, we're talking about benevolence. We're talking about two different roads. And one, benevolence, we see a church can help a needy church. In evangelism, we do not see a church helping a church in evangelism. We see a church sending money to a preacher directly, but we don't see anything else. And so, you know, we're not talking apples for apples. We're talking about two different planets, two different universes. And that's the difference. And I, two
1: weeks ago on Sunday night, we spent some time talking about the principle of autonomy. Self-government. When when we talk about the church in Antioch helping the church in Jerusalem, uh, I, I hope it's coming through loud and clear. Once again, we're not talking about some empty idea, some empty institution, some lifeless organization. What we're really talking, the way Luke puts it is, the, the church there in Antioch helped the saints in jerusalem we're we're talking about people but in helping those needy saints the principle of autonomy wasn't violated right Uh, it was sent as you noted to the elders there in jerusalem But you start thinking about, okay, if we've got this wide-scale evangelistic effort between Antioch and Jerusalem and Ephesus, whatever it is, now the question is, well, who's managing that? Who's overseeing that? And suddenly we begin to get some sort of organization larger than the simple picture that we started with in the New Testament.
0: That's it. That's it exactly. So next question uh takes us to right i backed up there okay, james okay. One. Yeah, james chapter one and james 1 27 says to visit the fatherless and the widows in their distress what's involved with visiting
1: so let's go back in our bibles james chapter one such an important passage and i want to be very deliberate in making sure that as we work through some of these passages We do not use them to talk about all the things we don't do. But we allow them to tell us what we ought to be doing as... Disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 25, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and... To keep oneself unstained from the world. Such a powerful passage on many levels. Number one, it teaches us clearly, and, and let's make sure our eyes are wide open to see, pure and undefiled religion involves more than lead a good, clean, moral life keep unstained from the world. Well, that's part of pure and undefiled religion. But let's make sure in discussions like this that we don't make James 1.27 somehow just say, you lead a good, clean, moral life and that's all that matters. You be a good, clean Christian and it's just between you and Jesus. No, clearly it is more than. Lead a good, clean, moral life. It involves what Jesus modeled so often. Jesus used this same word in Matthew chapter 25. You read verse 36 of Matthew 25 earlier this morning. That great judgment scene where Jesus says to some who are gathered before that throne. In verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick And you visited me. Same word that's used right here in James chapter 1, 27. In fact, it's the same word that we read in Luke chapter 1 where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is praising God for visiting Israel in their affliction. What it means is you're there for someone. God is being praised by Zechariah because God has heard. God cares for Israel's plight and He is visiting His people Israel. He is is stepping in to make a difference. That's what Jesus is commending or noting the lack of in Matthew 25, that judgment scene. I was sick and... You were there for me. Well, that's that's right here. It, it's not complicated. Pure and undefiled religion is: be devoted to God, be holy as God is holy. And what was the second great commandment?
0: You love your neighbor as yourself. So that the visiting orphans and widows in their distress is relieving them of their distress. That's what I wanted us to see. It's not going by and sitting on the front porch and having a glass of tea. How are you doing? Great. How yeah. are you doing? I visited them. Yeah. No. It's taking care of their needs.
1: That would be comparable to what James describes in James chapter 2 as dead faith, right? Someone is in need, and I mean, this is my weak paraphrase, but it's, good luck, brother or sister. I hope your need gets met. And you turn around and go off. James says, well, you can describe yourself as a person of faith, but that, that sort of faith is dead. We show our faith by our works, right? We do. And so it's not just being aware of needs, but doing what we can with the heart of Jesus to meet those needs.
0: All right, another question, not on the sheet here. Get this off the fly here. All right. Okay, Jesus fed 5,000. Yes. Why can't a church... Feed 5,000. Why can't the church do what Jesus did? Yeah.
1: So two really important things to realize, I think, about that scenario. Number one, Jesus' miracles are consistently described as signs. And that word means something. There are lots of things that Jesus did as signs... That we are not called to do, right? We, we noted a couple of weeks ago, he is the founder. He has defined our mission. That feeding was a sign of why these thousands of people ought to listen to his message. And I feel very comfortable not just noting the, the use of the word sign, but what Jesus did... In John chapter 6, when people came back the next day, not at all interested in the mouthpiece behind the sign, but, hey, that was really good food yesterday. Do you think we could get more of that today? And Jesus nips that right in the bud and says, we've got a problem because You are simply interested in physical food when what I'm trying to get you to see and appreciate and partake of is the spiritual food. You're going to have to learn to partake of my body and my blood. And when he starts talking like that, the people who benefited from the sign yesterday decide, we're out. We're, We're not interested in that anymore and so it's important for us to realize the purpose of the miracles this wasn't simply about helping someone who couldn't hear hear it was there is a man who couldn't hear now he can we need to pay attention to this man who was able to do this
0: jesus also turned over tables i don't think churches are supposed to do that (laughs) jesus turn water into wine i don't think we're supposed to go out and buy a winery i mean just because the lord did something to demonstrate that he's god on earth isn't the parallel that whatever jesus did the church did
1: the signs prove he's the founder the founder has given us the
0: mission that's it that's it
1: so in acts 11 where you were today why did the apostles give that donated money to the elders in jerusalem luke doesn't waste words right. he wants to make sure we get a clear picture
0: let's go back and read the story again it's verse 27 down to verse 30 acts 11 it says now at this time some prophets came down from jerusalem to antioch and one of them named agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world this took place in the reign of claudius And a proportion of any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. They did not send it to the president of the benevolent society. They did not send it in care of some organization. Who better to know in a congregation who has needs than shepherds who oversee the flock? And so it it not only is logical, it it is God's way that shepherds oversee the flock. They know about the needs. And when they took the money there, they didn't say, who wants $5? Raise your hand. Well, no. No, everybody raises their hand. No. (laughs) They took it to where the needs were. Who knows the needs? The elders do. And that's why it was done. All right. A simple pattern. And
1: you advocated i think rightly so a couple of weeks ago that that pattern demonstrates Christ's church is sufficient to meet the mission that has been defined
0: by Christ they don't need it they didn't need any other organizational level to take care of it it was taken care of right there okay our next question orphans home was a hot topic in the last generation a lot of congregations split over whether a church could support or build an orphan's home or not. And so the question is, can a church send money to an orphanage?
1: I think it is so important. Again, I want to be really deliberate here. Let's look past the false idea that this is either a question of compassion and generosity and love or... Respect for Bible authority, respect for the pattern that you've drawn our attention to in Acts chapter 11. I've got a lot of books in my library, and I know that you do too, where people on both sides of this debate boiled it down to, well, you either care or you don't, or you either Believe in biblical authority, or you don't, and I—that is a mistake. <laughs> it is not well. You pick compassion, generosity, love, or respect for the Bible and respect for authority and conviction and getting the work done over here. You know, it's you—you you, you take your pick. It's not that in. Scripture, we see that balance of compassion, love, generosity, respect for authority, uh, respect for the pattern that these people were devoted to under the oversight of the apostles who were being led by the Holy Spirit, and there's work that needs to be done. And so uh, what you're referencing, if we can just draw it from... Last Sunday evening, when we had just a basic question of we we hear this word institutionalism every once in a while. What 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 is that? Well, it is not individuals. So important that we see clearly and hear what Roger was showing us this morning that. This is not a question of, can I, as an individual, send money to an institution? This is not a question of, can organizations that help people exist? That's certainly not the question here. The question is, should local churches... Send money to these institutions. And, and last Sunday, if you remember, we plugged a variety of things into that green box. Uh, per this question, this is, is what we're talking about. In order for that need to be met. If, if I can, just for a minute or so, try and, and impress upon you how dangerous it is when we start to think in terms of institutional anything, as disciples of Jesus, when Christianity, when my faith is confined to an institution, that I I go to church... I know what we mean. I know what I have meant by, by, by saying that. But when we have the mindset of my work, my worship is confined to this institution. I go to church. I, I, I have doctrine that is defined by some institution. And so I'll talk about Church of Christ doctrine. We don't read that sort of thing in the pages of the New Testament. You do not have a relationship with Jesus with an institution between you and Jesus. You you do not become a member of this church in order to have a relationship with Jesus. You, personally, individually... Have a relationship with Jesus, there is not an institution that defines doctrine for us. There is not an institution that worships for us or does work for us. We, we do not turn over our work to okay i I contributed some money to this. Church and this church institutionally is going to do my work, and then this church is going to send it on to a, a different institution, and that board of directors or council or whatever it is is going to exercise oversight. And, and because I did this, I have met being equipped for the work of service. No, we really need to think carefully about you have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have a mission, and we need to allow the founder to define that mission, but any time we start institutionalizing discipleship, I would suggest we are on thin biblical ice. Make sense?
0: Makes sense. All right. Sermon over. So... The question was, can a church send money to an orphanage? The answer is no. Yes.
1: Thank you for... There's the Cliff Notes summary. I appreciate it. <laughs> no. The
0: answer is no. N-O. Which one do you do not get? The N or the I, O? If no. I
1: want to lean on biblical authority, I, I can't find that.
0: There, there's no example in the Bible. Right. And the passage folks go to is James 1. James 1 is dealing with the individual. Stay in your lane. Remember that? I heard somebody preach that. And there's a lane... James 1 is dealing with the individual... When I'm dealing with the church, I can't pull the church over here to the individual passage. So when we talk about orphanages, we're talking about what the individual can do. And so taking the collected money and building a a structure, hiring a president, getting a board, bringing orphans in, keeping them there. They they have to have an orphanage there. If they adopted out every kid, the orphanage would close. So they have to keep some kids in there who will never be adopted because they would lose their charter. Now, that doesn't seem like you're fulfilling the need. It's like you're sustaining the need. That's not the biblical pattern we find. And so the answer is no. The answer is no.
1: And when when we are talking about our collective effort, that autonomy question is a big deal here, right? If we just write a check and then... Okay, who's determining? We heard from Acts chapter 11, it was sent to elders who now are exercising oversight over that. So, okay, what's the difference then in paying a member's hospital bill and donating to an orphanage?
0: And we don't qualify that question. Whoever wrote that didn't do a good job. But uh, <laughs> we don't just pay members' hospital bills. We would only pay a member's bill if they were in a position where they were needy and they could not do that. Okay, and so what you're doing is you're buying a service. You're buying a service. Uh, the person's been to the hospital for whatever reason, got a hospital, you know, got an operation or some treatment. They are unable to pay that. They are they are a Christian. Uh, the church could pay that bill because that was their need. Okay. Now again, as I, as I mentioned and illustrated this morning, there's a difference between a need that's beyond your control and a self-induced need. So I need chocolate. I really do. So, <laughs> so you know, should the church go out and buy me a chocolate fountain because I need chocolate? No, no. That's, that's, that's not a need beyond my control. That's, that's a personal problem i got to work on, okay? So, so when we deal with this concept here, that's the idea. Now, donating to an orphanage. Notice the difference is you're, buying, you're paying a service, you're taking care of a need, you're going to eliminate that need. When you're donating to an orphanage, you're not eliminating it. You're sustaining it, you're keeping it, and it's not going to any particular person. It's going to the structure of this orphanage. Okay, Over here, I'm paying for a brother's hospital bill because for some reason he couldn't. Difference That that needs taken care of, that need is eliminated. Over here, this needs gonna, it's not really a need. You're just donating to something that's gonna keep going and going and going and going. And there's been congregations who sent twenty-five and fifty dollars every month for fifty or sixty years to an orphanage. What need have they taken care of? Well, they kind of supported and kept that institution going. That's the difference I want us to see. You
1: drew our attention today to First Timothy chapter 5, and, and we don't have the time to read that in, entire passage again. But clearly, the Apostle Paul is communicating to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, there are very real needs. He, he refers to widows indeed, or those who are truly widows. And you drew our attention to the importance of family, in order that the church might not be burdened, right? Uh, you we go back and you read 1 Timothy chapter 5, and clearly this woman, hypothetically that is being described, is a believer. We're, we're, we're not talking about someone uh, who, who is an, an unbeliever outside. Uh, needs are real. I, I bring that up because I had two people this morning in the foyer ask if, if there were members of our church family who have these sorts of needs where contributions that we make go to real needs in this church family. And absolutely, absolutely, that is ongoing within the life of our church family. And so we're not talking about hypothetical things. We're talking about real life under a God-given pattern. So, all right, you painted a hypothetical today with the promise that we would return. If a family shows up on the doorstep of a church building, hungry and penniless, and what's the big deal with taking $20 out of this morning's contribution and getting them
0: some food? If they were Christians, we could do that. If they were not there's that lane we got to stay in there's no biblical example of using the church's money to help somebody who's not a christian but this is a big one i want you to understand we wouldn't say the church can't help you go go away we don't we We haven't (laughs) i know jim i know mike i know brent i know these guys right over here our wallets would open up so fast as individuals, we have to take care of that person. That has happened here numerous times during the week. When y'all aren't here, people do stop by. The doorbell rings. The doorbell rings. You and I meet in the foyer. <laughs> and we talk to these people. Sometimes the story is a little shady. And we sometimes just, sorry, because it doesn't seem legit. Many times it seems legit. And so I'll go give them some money. If I don't have enough, I bank right across the street. I'll just go to my ATM and get some more money, help them. That's what God wants us to do. And so, again, the, the, what I want us to see from this, we cannot let our emotions, we cannot let our appeal and, and, and the goodness we want to do allow us to get out one lane and go into the other lane. Because here's somebody, oh, you know, they, the, the, the need seems legitimate. What would be wrong as we just go to take that money to the back room to be counted? We just give that guy 20 What's the big deal? The big deal is God has a pattern. And if we're going to start skipping God's pattern, we can skip it all the time on anything. Either we're going to follow the pattern and stay in our lane, or we don't. But there's another lane here, and that's why I wants to see God has an avenue for us helping anybody in the world. Galatians 6, verse 10, as you have opportunity, let's do good to all men. And what we would do is we'd open up our wallets. We have done that and done that and done that. I know I can name names. I won't do that, but I can name names in this congregation of people who put people in hotel rooms. Okay, they paid the hotel room for the night. Somebody's going from point A to point B, and I ran out gas, and I have no place to stay, and da, 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 and we paid the whole t- we Did we take the church money? No, we did not. Did we get a check back from the church to re- reimburse us? No, we did not. It came out of our own wallets, because that's what Christians do, and that's how we handle it. You
1: mentioned a couple of our shepherds and a, a couple of others. I mean, we've got a couple of deacons who lead the way in this sort of real life scenario and it, it is so important to see again it is not a well we really believe in biblical authority and the pattern given to us in in the pages of the new testament therefore we've shut off the love compassion generosity spigot no that's not it that's at not all
0: it, it not is it. not either or no it's both it's the idea of staying in your lane as a church But seeing that there's things that can be done.
1: All right. So somebody hears all of this and says, this just seems like the church is heartless for not being more involved in the community around us. If somebody voices that, how do we respond?
0: Well, first of all, Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. He didn't say you you, you can eliminate poverty i think there's some folks in washington who believe that if we do this or do that someday they'll never be a poor person uh that's not what the lord says and the church can be tied down to that and never do what its real work is And that's making disciples and training disciples and so when somebody says well in our community here right around this building there's all kinds of hurting people well bring us the names and several of us as individuals will do what we can do that's the answer But we also have a pattern that God expects us to follow. And we have to follow that if we're going to be the church of the New Testament. And that's how I'd answer that. So, uh, what are my responsibilities as a Christian toward the needy?
1: You referenced Galatians chapter 6. Let's go back there very quickly to Galatians chapter 6 and start reading in verse 6. I think the best most succinct answer to that is the parable you reminded us of this morning. There is a priest on his way to the temple, a man battered, bloodied on the side of the road. The priest intentionally gets over to the other side and passes by. A Levite comes along, same thing. A lowly Samaritan, looked down upon by the people hearing this parable, Comes along, stops, nurses this man, puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, (laughs) the way you were describing earlier. Makes sure that he has what he needs. If he requires more, I'm going to come back and I'll be there. I will visit this man in, in that sense. I will be there for this need that I saw with my own eyes. And then Jesus, with such a simple illustration, looks his disciples in the eye and asks, which one of those was a neighbor? Everybody knows the answer to that. And what did he say next? You go and do likewise. That's the answer. This is how Paul puts it in Galatians 6 and verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not Be deceived. God is not mocked. We might act as if, okay, God, I respect you to the point. I'm willing to tithe the spices in my kitchen cabinet. But I walk by that very real need on my way to the temple. Jesus would say, you have (laughs) swallowed a camel and, and strained it, a that you, you have forgotten the, the greatest issues of all. God is not mocked. God realizes this isn't a matter of respect for authority versus compassion. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. We know what doing good is. We'll have opportunities to do it this week. With the promise that in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's what Christians do. And especially to those who are of the household of faith.
0: And I particularly like the doing. Yeah. Sometimes we do a lot of talking. But this is about doing. yeah. And so that, yeah. that's what we need to keep for us.
1: So last question. Why is this any of my concern?
0: Well, you know, some people may say, I, I really don't care. This is over my head. I don't understand this. This is, this is for the hierarchy of the church, which there is no such thing as a hierarchy of the church. Um, you know, I, I just want to have a loving heart. I just want to help people. Go for it. But there are lanes. And to be God-approved, I have to follow what God wants us to do and we cannot let the emotions of our heart the emotions of the moment catch us up in the season and say I think we'll just open the door up and just let anybody come in and eat whatever they want we'll provide all the food sounds wonderful but you're skipping the lanes of God this matters this ought to be a concern of every member of the congregation because God wants you to know and when you contribute you need to know where it goes you need to be responsible for that. And for decades and decades, people have put money in the, congregation, in the contribution on Sunday, and then the eldership or the leadership has decided where to go. And They say, well, you know, that's their decision. No, it's your responsibility. The church is not doing something that's right. You have a responsibility to call us on the carpet and say, show me this in the Bible, because I'm a member of this congregation, and this matters. So this is not just an issue for elders and shepherds. This is not just an issue for deacons. If you're a member of this congregation, this is something you need to know. And I also say with this that for a lot of folks, they've never heard these lessons before. In a lot of places today, they never talk about these things. A lot of people don't understand the differences within what we call the institutional church of Christ or the mainstream church of Christ and what the conservative churches of Christ have doing. A lot of people have never heard those things before because it's never preached. No one gives it a thought. We've given money to this orphanage. We've given money over here to this, to this, to this, to this. And I, we've just never heard a sermon on it. We've never thought about that. We want you to think about it. We want you to hear sermons on this because we believe it matters. We believe as Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3, 3, 3, chapter 3 16-17, every word of God is profitable. So God has put in patterns. Patterns for salvation. Patterns for worship. Patterns for how the church has conduct itself. Patterns for how the church can use its money. Patterns for how the church can take care of the needy. God has these lanes and we believe they're there for a reason. And when we follow that, we become the people God wants us to be. When we ignore that, we're heading down some dangerous roads.
1: A good personal follow-up study would just be to, to get a good Bible dictionary. You can find them for free online. Good Bible concordance. And just look at how the Bible uses fellowship. Fellowship in the Bible is not fried chicken. Fellowship is a... Deeply precious blessing in the Bible. And one of the foundational ways that Paul uses it is in connection with this relief for the saints that you drew our attention to earlier. That when we contribute, when you contribute, you have fellowship with those needs being met. You have fellowship in the gospel with evangelists throughout the world being supported. This is not just an intellectual argument. This is a a matter of fellowship, sharing together. partnership, Partnerships in in the gospel. All right. Open your Bible with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 20, where we'll read in just a moment. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20 and fully believes that he probably will not see again in the flesh some people who mean a great deal to him. He had spent years in the city of Ephesus working among the saints there and on his way, aware of the fact that this is probably the last time that he will see them, he calls elders from the church in Ephesus to travel uh, south a little where he is along the coast. And you can read his entire message to them beginning in, in verse 17. But if you would pick it up with me in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, where he tells these men, these elders of the church in Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, listen to what he says. In all things I have shown you That by working hard in this way, we must, one more time, let me emphasize, this is not choose a door to go through. Respect for biblical authority or compassion and generosity and love. No. Listen to what he says. We must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The point of the day has not been to point out all the things we don't do. We want to make sure loud and clear it comes through the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give. Than to receive. And if you live long enough and this world stands this week, you're going to have the opportunity just as surely as I do to walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus this week. I'd encourage you to have those words ringing in your ears this week. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But that wasn't just pretty religious talk, this was our Lord's walk. All the way to the cross. He didn't ascend a, a mountain and have everybody come to Him as, as some guru. And, and everybody bring offerings to Him. And here He is on an exalted place. And, and everybody is just impressed by how amazing this person is way up there. The most religious, powerful, uh, prosperous person on the face of the earth. No. No. He modeled this in the truest of ways. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And what binds us together this evening is the fact that we have responded to what He gave. His own life. A sinless life. For our sinful souls. What good news that Paul wanted to make sure these people didn't lose sight of. And we don't want to lose sight of that either. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing a song of invitation made possible by this truth. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Disciples are givers. If you're ready to give your allegiance to Him, for the very first time you're willing to give your confession that you believe he died for you you believe he is the risen son of god you're willing to give yourself over as a living sacrifice putting to death that old person of sin so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life this sort of life it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you need to respond to the greatest giver of all this evening, and we can help, would you let us know how by coming to the front while we stand and sing?